James. Hey, Duncan. How are you, dude? Um, I'm well. Nothing like a Monday morning to get things started. So, <laughs> how are you being, mate? We're both tired, actually. I'm in New York and it's Sunday, and you're in, in Sydney and it's Monday morning, and it's just been tiring weekends, getting lots of stuff. Um, well, today we are talking about free speech. What is it? What do you think is important? And the first thing I want to say is I am not a lawyer. And so, a lot of what I'm going to say is probably really off. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think you're just trying to learn and to level up. Like, I think I understand more about free speech and the thoughts about what free speech should be than I did before. But I do not consider myself anything much more than a novice, maybe sort of competent here. So if there's that whole novice, competent, proficient, expert, master, which is a taxonomy. I don't know, maybe I'm a master in only one or two areas in life. Um, and this is certainly not one of those. <laughs> so I'm sorry to any constitutional lawyers and other people that perhaps are listening for what is about to occur. Well, yeah, so I think like as with most topics that you and I literally stumble across, like for this is really an exploration in what our thinking is on the topic. And so as per you, Duncan, maybe like this quick caveat is like, we are not experts on this matter. But I think by going through and exploring our thoughts on this, uh, at the very least, I think, you know, we can come away with some new insights that we hadn't previously been able to consider on our own. I think this is a good way to look at it. We are, we are at a higher level than I was, say, two years ago. So there's probably some people that we have leveled up on. But also for the people that are like, let's say I'm at level three and I was level zero, you know, whatever, five years ago. But for the people that are like level 10 or level 50, here's an insight into what level threes think like <laughs> and all the ego distortions and blind spots that they have. Yeah. But people, I hope, mean well. Um, so, yeah. Well, I've, I've come up with a new term, Duncan, and I think you'll like it. I call it Duncan Kruger effect. Duncan Kruger effect. Okay, explain the Duncan. Instead of Dunning Kruger, explain so the Duncan, Duncan Kruger. Kruger effect is when you are aware that you have a, um, a, you know, a gap between your current knowledge level and what would be considered a mastery in this topic, but you still go headfirst into it anyway, and you <laughs> you come up as someone who might be thinking that they are you know more knowledgeable than they profess themselves to be. I think this is a side of time. Like, I think it should be okay to discuss anything, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean you need to have high understanding of it. Because I think discussing mm -hmm. things is one of the ways to level up your your understanding. And so it shouldn't be like you're only allowed to talk about things where you are an expert or a master. Um, but hopefully you have some knowledge. Like if, if you haven't done huge, so almost everything doesn't have a ceiling, like free speech, how to improve education, how to do user design, how to do an AI algorithm, whatever, right? And so if you've only just found out about it, you're level one, right? You're not some sort of like, oh, yeah, I've heard of postmodernism or, you know, I've read, you know, free speech laws on wikipedia over the wikipedia page like welcome to level one you know and, <laughs> and the best people are at level 100 or more and there is no ceiling you know and so yeah. to me i didn't know that like let's say you know i'm not young enough to know the answer anymore and one characterization of that is a stunning career you just found out about something that, oh yes you know we should have socialism and that the, the corporation should be owned by the people because it sounds so alluring and unless they had tried socialism or marxism or whatever you want to call it you know communism so many times and it had been abject failures or at least markedly worse than you know a solid liberal democracy i would be like this is a great idea we should try it so if it came out today i'd be like yeah great idea <laughs> <laughs> but now you look at all the examples of history like awful idea awful idea but it looks good it's specious it's on first you know first impression you're like wow this is great 
and then you look through people trying it and like, hold on a second so yeah we're level one or two here yeah so but like i think this actually is very pertinent to the topic of freedom of speech itself right because i feel like for my own ability um and i feel this is relevant in general to get beyond level one you have you know you have a number of avenues that you can pursue you can go academic and you read and you can just absorb information sure but i do believe that there is a point where you need to now start to string your own thoughts together and for me speech is a very very large part of that process and so just just this this what you and i i think are about to try and <laughs> embark upon is this process of sharing thoughts that may be wildly inaccurate and yes. <laughs> like we are uh but um i do believe that from beginning to end we either will end up in a better place with more you know conceptual models that can improve our ability to get to the next level or we'll just go you know dovetail into some very random ideological <laughs> um, illusion on what we think it contains to be free speech but that's probably why there's a little bit of a tension between you know why free speech itself should be considered a right or not yeah so um this is the first thing um when you first heard about free speech i don't even know when it was what i thought it was is that you could say whatever you want <laughs> speech was free right yeah. and i'm like oh that doesn't make sense and then you think about it and then oh maybe it does and then i don't know it took me a number of years to realize that free speech did not mean you could say whatever you want and we're just going to look at the U.S. free speech laws here, um, because you know the biggest uh, you know country from a GDP perspective, and I suppose the most important from a cultural and a media perspective. But is it also <laughs> the only country that actually has? Free no, speech? no, there are many countries. Australia doesn't have free speech right. laws enshrined in some sort of constitution. So Australia is more the exception than the rule. Now, now there are other countries that are like that. And again, I'm not some constitutional lawyer, but it, I think some Americans kind of Australian like like what? You don't have free speech in a constitution, and it's like. <laughs> or how come you don't have like straight up tyranny or some autocrat rolling around like suppressing you and there is a, some sort of indirect way i heard malcolm turnbull talking about how australia sort of has indirect free speech laws. don't ask me to try to explain it <laughs> um but okay look here are i'm just reading from wikipedia and i'll, I'll link it to there uh the areas of things which you are not allowed to do so they're not protected so so most areas so anything that is not stated here so the first one is incitement what this means is incitement to the use of force or directly inciting or producing imminent lawless action um so that's one another one in there is like incitement to suicide so you, you can't be you know on some whatever instagram encouraging people to commit suicide as an example that's not uh covered false statement of fact so no constitutional value is false. Um, so basically you cannot straight up lie. <laughs> um, counterfeit currency, you can't make, um, you know, fake, uh, you know, notes, but that's obscenity. This is often taken to be basically pornography. Um, so yeah, there's that, but you know, you can't be uh, indecently, um, you know, showing yourself in public, fighting words, um them so it things. tends to incite immediate breach of the peace invoking a fight threatening the president of the united states um you can't do that any threat of the life of to kidnap or to inflict bodily harm of the president of the united states this also applies to any president-elect vice president or other officer in officer next in the line of succession to the office of the president or the president-elect 
if you ask me, Trump has done pretty much all of these ones. <laughs> Hanging like pants, <laughs> straight up lying about the things. You know, speech owned by others. There's commercial speech. Um, and then just speak to these things. So but they sort of get, I suppose, less important after there. All right. I'm just going to pause there for a second. James, you got any comments or thoughts? So, like, for me, like, half of these, I'm wrapping my head around, like, how can you actually um, correlate these with speech, right? So, like, counterfeit currency, I didn't know that that would be something that would be applicable to when you're talking about freedom of speech. But so I think going back to your first point, when you first heard first freedom of speech, what did that mean? Like, I could say whatever I want. <laughs> <laughs> whatever I want. Um, but I do think, I try to th think back to when I got some, you know, further nuance of understanding. And it was, you can say whatever is, you know, you can say what your beliefs are without being oppressed by the government, right? And I think that's something that gets lost a, a lot of the time is that it's not that like, I can say whatever I want to you and you just have to tolerate it. It's about what you, what you say cannot be suppressed uh, by the government um, that's in power. But then you've got these like limitating factors that make a lot of sense when you talk about, well, if we want to have a functioning society, there needs to be some guardrails. And so like when I look through all of these, it seems like they've been, you know, pretty well thought out by now. Um, so I don't disagree with, I think, any in particular. Yeah, but then you get to the actual application. And so this is just from my perspective, like, I don't think there should be, you know, anything, you can think whatever you want. So other things which used to be here, which I can't see, like, you know, you're not allowed to do hate is my understanding. Um, mm -hmm. You're not allowed to do, um, you know, libel, which is false facts. You know, you're not allowed to do sedition, which is trying to overthrow the government is my understanding. Um, okay. so. To me, um, you shouldn't think what you want though. You can think I hate James, or you know, you can you can whatever else it is, right? Yeah, down with the government, as an example, or you know, I'm gonna this. If it's James and I having a private conversation, I don't think it matters. Right? You can you can say what you want, but it goes from no one being able to hear just in your head to maybe two people, you and another person, through to a public town square broadcasting, so TV network or Twitter, and so to me. I think that if you can reach everybody, there probably should be some laws. Um, and the free speech laws actually are basically trying to say, you know, what is needed, I think, to have a healthy functioning society. So for instance, in many countries, you can't say something against Putin or Xi Jinping and it's gonna roll, even if it's true, right? And so a lot of this here is basically, well, you can say stuff like, I don't like Trump you know, um, or whatever else it is. Whereas I would not be in China, you know, rolling around saying Xi Jinping looks like Winnie the Pooh, you know, or whatever else it is, right? Um, so to me, that's kind of, I think, where it is. And to me, this is part of where this came from. So where's this debate? Well, there should be public town squares, whether they're TV networks, whether they're Twitter. And the bigger the reach, the more likely there should be some regulation. And that the regulation, if it's everyone, I don't think should be in the hands of a private company. So for instance, when 99% of the people that work at Twitter apparently are Democratic voters, that, but you know, in America, not 99% of Americans are Democratic voters, it's probably going to affect the way they do censorship, right? And it <laughs> probably isn't going to be reflective. Mm. So to me, I believe that the companies shouldn't be making decisions unilaterally, that mm. they should be based on a government. So it's like, James doesn't just get to have whatever James's rules he feels like, and Duncan doesn't get to do the same. You live in that country, you have their rules. 
you want to change the rules, there's a system. It's called a liberal democracy. You want to change same-sex marriage. You want to change the tax laws. You want to change immigration, whatever else it is, right? You don't just decide, no, no, no tax. Duncan doesn't pay tax, you know? And Duncan gets to have slaves or whatever else it is, right? No, you, you've got to abide by the laws. And so to me, for these big public places, there should be free speech laws. They've got them. And at the moment, Twitter, you know, Facebook, whatever else it is, effectively do what they want. And I don't think this is a great outcome. This is where I get into it. I'm talking for too long. But basically, if you want to have a public town square, you've got to have the rules be stated and the rules be understood. And mm. there's a way to update the rules, which isn't called, well, go and campaign Mark Zuckerberg or whomever it is. And that's, I think, part of what Elon's trying to do. Mm. So for me, when we're talking about three speeches and then bringing up how it applies into the concept of a digital town square and Twitter is the obvious example here, there's two things that come to mind that I think will be helpful for us to see if we can distinguish or like just get to um, an agreement on. So the first one is um, the common argument that I see is freedom, um, freedom of reach is not freedom of speech. Uh, and so what I, yeah, so what I hear people saying is exactly right. So, you know, you can say what you want, but you are not entitled to having a bullhorn that you can have it spread to, you know, everyone else on a platform. Uh, and the second one, I think that's also relevant is section 230. Um, and so as a brief explanation, <laughs> the brief explanation, it generally provides immunity for website platforms um, that publish or promote third party content, right? So, you know, if, if if Duncan goes onto Twitter tomorrow and he says, like, you know, I hate pickles, then, <laughs> you know, I love Rick, so, yeah. <laughs> um, Twitter cannot get in trouble for, uh, for what Duncan said. So I think these, these two things are quite relevant because they seem to, like, on the one hand, Section 230 is not, I don't think, fully uh, applicable to, to the modern, um, you know, media structure of online social media. Like, it was apparently set up for, um, I, I don't know it well enough, but I believe it was set up for old media company, but then they kind of, like, unilaterally applied it to online social media. Um, but I think the more interesting area is, like, do we think companies like Twitter are actually a, a matter of freedom of speech or is it really just a matter of freedom of reach? I thought we would maybe go through each of these areas and try to explain our understanding of what incitement is as an example mm -hmm. <laughs> and then just see, see what it is. Um, so where's this coming out? Like, I think that, and I think the midterms might have been the bottom. There's an old saying, there's nothing that's wrong with America that can't be fixed by what is right about America. Mm. It feels to me for like, I don't know, maybe since Trump was president, so whatever, six years, that what is wrong about America has been winning out against what is right about America. And as an example for the political thing, you know, until just recently, the midterms last week, I think only two Republicans were left that had actually voted to impeach Trump or were not, you know, um, Republic, uh, you know, uh, Trump, you know, election denials. And so to me, if you have that too far, you lose democracy. And then you get an autocrat and then you slowly turn into Russia or China, right? And so to me, um, I think something had to be done um, because the trajectory was not good. What's just one level in the political stack? Well, there's the politicians, there's the system. So the system might be a presidential system like America or Westminster system like UK or Australia or the German system. Then there's the media and then there are the voters. 
And if you didn't change something, it felt to me, we talked in a previous podcast, that the US is on track to not be a democracy anymore. And if that was the case, then the you know free world and the rule you know international uh, rules based order was over and china will do whatever they want because the rest of us are probably not able to you know get together and, and form a strong enough coalition to push back against china um and so the easiest thing to change politicians system media voters to me felt like the media and the easiest way into the media was twitter because twitter in some respects is upstream of a lot of the media organizations whether it's fox news or you know whatever you know cnbc etc um so to me, I think that was one of the core motivators for why Elon was trying to do this. And that what was happening is a bifurcation. So people were getting banned or shadow banned on Twitter and not knowing why. There wasn't clear rules. There was the terms of service stated, but they weren't told what they had done. Like, what have I done? Like, we're not telling. Well, ask someone, you know, and there's not a clear system of recourse. Like, you can send an email to the, you know, the sort of help desk and hope, you know, but there's no sort of courts, et cetera, right? And you had the bifurcation then. And so you were not having a public town square. You were having in the left town square and the right town square, and you're having truth social and other stuff. And so what you needed to do is to try to create the most trusted place for news. And how do you go about doing that? Well, you go go and you buy Twitter as an example. And there were two key things that I think Elon trying to do. One, get rid of trolls or minimize trolls, right? And then you can actually not have you seeing information that's not true. And one of the strategies for that is to make people pay eight bucks, which is somewhere between a thousand and ten thousand times as expensive as it was to sort set up automated things, right? And then the other one is to have community notes, which is kind of like page rank for um, commenting. So, for instance, the people that comment on community notes, they'll build reputation, and so then if they comment more, then they become more you know reputable. And then there's also the open sourcing of the algorithms side. And this is where I wanted to talk about this. Instead of the algorithms being a black box, and so that then any decisions that are made, whether you get shadow banned, you know you got shadow banned. Or whether you get kicked off, you know you got kicked off. And you know why, and there's a system of recourse. But if you do not have, or who's a troll, who isn't a troll, it's very hard to have trust. If you don't have a system of people that are being able to create community notes and seeing these things and, and they're kind of gravitas going up, you kind of, and then if you have the algorithms doing it, and you can't see what the algorithms are, you can't have a place that's trusted. So that was one characterization that I think is the overall thing that Elon's trying to go at. Mm. And I feel that, thank God, Elon's thinking about improving the world, not getting to Mars or humanity. You know, he's not thinking about buying Twitter to make money. He's about trying to improve the world. And I think he said, like, if something's not done, there won't be a society. And I feel that perhaps for the first time in six years, what's you know right about America is winning out more than what's wrong about America from the midterms. Mm. So the, the first thing you talked about that, that um, immediately came to mind for me was talking about, you know, your system. So I think you talked about government or something. Politicians, the rules of government, and how do you elect people like a presidential system or a Westminster system or the German system, the media and the voters. Yeah. yeah. So what, what, that, what that reminded me of was um, Ben Thompson from Tertechery, his article on the fifth estate, which yeah. is... Um, you know, some, a response to something I think Mark Zuckerberg wrote. So, um, you know, traditionally the, the three estates in Europe were, um, you know, the three branches, which were the king, like the highest level, House of Lords, and then the House of Commons. And then I think someone else wrote about how the fourth estate was then the press, uh, which started out as a printing press, but then became, um, you know, mass media. And now they're looking at is social media facebook and now i think more relevant uh, in recent times twitter 
this fifth estate, which is the um, the zeitgeist is no longer driven by these gatekeepers who are in centralized power, but the zeitgeist can now actually be fed and absorbed by larger society at the same time. So this is why, for me, I like I agree that there is this potential for a fifth estate and the power that social media has in in you know in driving what is in the Overton window, what is in general discourse, and what I think is really relevant to the thing that you brought up about like well. Do we open source Twitter and this algorithm? You know, do we change the way in which behavior, you know, unit, not, not unit, behavioral economics apply on the site? Because I do think that there is a lot to be said around what do you need to have freedom of speech? And I think one of them is something to the, to the effect of an even playing field, right? Because it's like if Duncan has all the cards and he has all the knowledge and like I'm trying to engage in a conversation, I don't actually know what his real position is like if i don't i don't know if i can trust duncan then i don't know if there's a world in which we can have a functioning um like whether you want to call it society or just conversation that free speech can apply and i think that's what one particular challenge with twitter is that i don't know what the rules are i don't know if i'm going to say something and get banned tomorrow i don't know if what you're saying is getting pushed to a wider audience than me and so i think that's like this is what i thought elon as seeing his mission, which is like, I need to fix Twitter, not, you know, the idea of this um, public town square online, but the idea of how Twitter has created the system in which that can work. Yeah, so what Elon has said, I think is, or this is me paraphrasing, he wants to make the most trusted place mm. on the internet, also a place yeah, of trust. high entertainment. Um, and that if you do that, you'll have 80% of humanity on there, rather than kind of, you know, well, they've got about 250 million, they call it this, and so, so what are the, the um, strategies there? Well, one is get rid of bots. And I think, you know, one of them is charging people, right? And I think that's, that's one strategy, cool. Two is that there's community notes, which would make a much bigger deal, which is basically people commenting on what's true and what's not true, and then different commenters getting authority. So the more commenting you've done, that's been good. And it's all that kind of page rank system, right? That goes through. And then people that have had a lot of their things commented on that have said it's not true, well, you're downweighted, right? So if, if maybe, I don't know, every 10th thing that I write as an example, people are like, this is just straight up lying. Well, your overall authority is going to be lower than somebody who has had it, you know, every 100th of the time, or maybe never, Jane. <laughs> um, and then if you go around commenting on others and helping in front of the truth is this. Okay, so, and then the other one is like the algorithmic signal. So if you, I was speaking to a, someone who used to work in Instagram, um, and apparently the most important signal was whether you would like a photo. And so they had built this signal and predicting whether you will like a photo or not. And that was the most important signal. So in Google search, when I was there, there was about 400 signals that they were using together. But the most important signal I understand, I wasn't in that team, was still what Larry Page and Sergey Brin came up with, which is page rank, which is how much pages link to other pages. Now, that doesn't mean that it was always the most important one, but that was, you know, one of them, right? And apparently the most important signal in Instagram was whether you would like a photo. And they were very, very, very good at serving this to you. And this, the more that they got that well, the more time you spent on Instagram. Okay, so what I think is that they should build a signal for each of the core free speech things. So for instance, incitement, here, the advocacy of the use of force. Now, I'm not a lawyer, but I think if you are saying to people to overthrow the you know, January 6th you know, um, certification of the election, and that's you know, for false reasons, that that is incitement, right? 
Mm. If you're inciting people to suicide, so you're on there encouraging young, you know, people that, you know, everyone has formative years. I remember being a teenager and puberty. It wasn't, I don't want to go back, you know. <laughs> um, if you're doing false facts like the election was stolen or like the earth is flat or something, right, that there is a signal. So I don't think that they necessarily need to open source all 400 of the signals that Google have for search. But the free speech ones, I understand that people like Facebook have signals, also meta, where they are attempting to take down content that's bad, you know, and they were getting to like high 90% from the algorithms, right? And those were trained by humans. And so what this basically means is that I think all of the core tenants of free speech are having a separate signal, like incitement, like false facts, like, you know, obscenity, et cetera, right? Like fighting words. And that it reads your tweet and it gives a prediction, right? And it can and it can be seen, like, okay, whatever, 100% on false facts, you know, because clearly, like, I don't know, it's not, you know, we're not in the mid middle ages or something, right? It's, it's just wrong, right? Today is not, you know, 1500 or something, right? Um, and that if you are doing that, that you're going to have minimal, you know, either the tweet is banned or that your freedom of reach, you know, how much it is, you know, amplified is lower. And so to me, then people can start to debate. I think you want to turn the debate away from who got shadow banned or who got kicked off to what are the rules, right? And the rules are not made by Twitter. The rules are made by the government. I know it's going to be difficult because there are some small countries, but let's just say that they can try to get it right for the US now. And most people would say that the rules are actually far wider than we think. So what is actually permissible is not necessarily nice. So then you get to have what Elon calls like the meter, like G for like, you know, children or whatever, all the way up to hardcore weapons grade thing. And so you can basically tune it. It's like, well, yeah, this is legal, but Duncan is a little soft, you softy, and he doesn't want to see, you know, nasty things on the web. So like creating an algorithm that can kind of like, if, if like, let me see if I can paraphrase what you're suggesting so that I understand it properly, but it's effectively creating algorithm um, to limit for or restrict people's ability to communicate on Twitter based on these exceptions in the constitution, the incitement, uh, obscenity, fighting words, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so I, I, I think it, it doesn't help to go into the feasibility side, like, like how would you be able to do this? And you know, you could probably talk about it being a very iterative process. But for me, it still seems really like the, the, the most classic one is like hate speech, like who gets to decide what's hate speech? And so it's yeah. a similar... Go on. Sorry. No, no. What would you thought? You to go? Yeah, yeah. So, so this is so right now they're called the judges. You know, there's the laws and judges exercise judgment, right? And judgment can change. So as an example, if you're doing it before lunch and after lunch, they might be quite different. And also two judges, not always the same. Like some, you know, if you're talking just about sentencing, like some are much, much harsher at sentencing for the same, you know, crimes than others are. Um, and so to me, things change over time as well. So the idea of an open society is that the law's never done. It is updated. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when my parents were born in 1500, they were still doing public hangings in Australia. Then they stopped that and there was no killing of the state by the state. And now you have legal euthanasia in Victoria. So we've gone from the state killing people to nobody being able to kill anyone, say, to now you being able to kill yourself, right? And so that's massive change. So you should expect things to change. 
and we have laws that are updated all the time. You we may not agree with you know many of them. I probably agree with the high ninety percent. It's like some small portion of laws that I don't agree with, but like the vast majority I agree with, right? So we have a system for updating the laws, and it's not necessarily perfect, but it's better than a system that have been tried. Mm-hmm. I believe that for public areas such as you know Twitter, if you want it to do this that it shouldn't be its own and it could be like right now they basically do what they want themselves it's unregulated i don't believe that something that has massive reach should be unregulated i think that it should be regulated and i don't know why the us government hasn't gotten around to doing more laws to regulate personally i believe that you go with the actual way that the free speech laws are written and you build a signal so again i don't know how many signals they have for google search now but it was about 400 when i was there so, and the most important one for Instagram is apparently whether you like, but it wasn't the only one, right? So you have the free speech laws in the core areas. So for instance, incitement, for instance, false statement of facts, for instance, you know, obscenity. And it's got like a zero to one hundred percent, you know, what do we think this is? Now, what what is art, you know, and what is, I don't know, someone it's pushing someone to, you know, commit suicide? That is very good question. Annoyingly, it is a question we cannot not answer. They're like, we, we can't no, we just go, oh, well, too hard. Like, no, no, we've got to make decisions here, right? And so to me, I believe that it is better that the decision about what, so there's the algorithm side, there's the human side, and it will have to be both. Both the human intervention from, say, community notes and the algorithm recommendation are seen, not just in a black box. Mm. No one said they're going to be perfect. But if you don't have that, you have what you have now. And you have people not trusting the system and they hate Twitter or something. And then you have the bifurcation into like, you know, truth social. And it's hard to say that Twitter's not left-leaning. I think it is. You know, I like to consider myself a moderate, which means that I agree with some of the policies from the left and some of them from the right, but not all from one. And so to me, I'm not an expert here. I'm sorry, it's going to sound like wildly naive, but I feel like this is a proposal that could increase trust and have people move from hating Twitter as an example and moving to a new platform where they agree with people to just hating the rules and wanting the rules updated. Mm. So, I've, so I'm going to um, meet you halfway and say, let's... No, oh, no, you don't. You, you pick a team and you back that team, right, hell or shine. <laughs> You're either with us or against us. <laughs> There's none of this meeting halfway. What are you talking about? Yeah. So, um, like... You know, you came in at the end there, and what you said was like, so let's just say hypothetically that we had this algorithm that could create a system in which um, all of these exceptions to freedom of speech could be policed effectively by algorithms, right? And you said this would help move further towards trust. Um, I I agree, but. What my challenge is that I'm not entirely convinced that all of the the legal exceptions to freedom of speech are necessarily the predominant reason of why there's why Twitter has problems today. So, for example, I I definitely there's a, there's a number of considerations. One is the current algorithm and how it's created to try and encourage additional more engagement and more um uh, uh not siphoning but um like you know you go into your own bubbles of thought but i know there's the bubbles don't exist yeah. I, i've looked at a couple of them so to me it's it's an idea that got a lot of 
airplay, but I'm not necessarily sure it's reasonable that filter bottles exist in the way that people think they do. Like if you look at the academic studies, yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, they're, they're, yeah, really interesting. Go on, yeah. We can talk about that. The next one I think is KYC and the um the, the freedom to be anonymous on platforms like Twitter. Um what's KYC? Know your customer, sorry. So know your customer means that like all banks have to know who you are and prove that you exist and that you are who you say you are. Right? Mm. So um that doesn't have the same level of um you know requirement for a platform like Twitter. Like you can go on there as like, you know, hunky white-haired boy 63 and you can just go off spraying whatever nonsense you want to say without any repercussions. Now sure if there was an algorithm that was picking up hate, well not hate speech, but incitement, then that account might then get, you know, publicly banned, but then you can go create another account and you can just go do this and that's why they have bots that you can exploit this system as well. So I do think that some level of culpability and um, you know, similar to what you have in person, which is like when I say something to your face, Duncan, that's in a very inciting manner, then I have to deal with the repercussions of your reaction to that, where it's not the same online. And I think that's something that can change behavior and that can lead to some of the problems we're seeing on Twitter today. Yeah, we're talking about like, so the other one is this, like the free speech laws, according to most people that have been doing a bit of reading this, are much, much wider than what most people would like. So as an example, what is permissible to say, like, doesn't necessarily, it's not illegal, it's, as in it's not like, I don't know, like a false statement or incitement, but you can say some pretty racist stuff or some pretty, you know, things that that aren't actually breaking the free speech laws. <laughs> um, and so what this has meant in this side is that for a lot of people, actually strictly applying to the free speech laws is a place they don't want to go. And for a lot of advertisers, they just don't want to steer clear of it. Like, for instance, what Kanye was saying about Jewish people, as far as I'm aware, is not breaking the free speech laws. But you may not like it, right, at, at all, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so you don't want to be at a place which allows that. And so the the proposed outcome is where you can have the, the ratings just like you have with movies from basically, I know what they are in Australia, like G, PG, you know, M, M-A-R or whatever else it is, right? And R is, um, you know, this sort of basically maximum attack mode where it is still not breaking the free speech laws, but you can say all these things. Whereas you go for the G version, no, there's there's going to be no things. So if you have those things, there'll be another signal called percentage chance racist, right? Or something, right? And in that G one, it's like, you, you don't want anything more than 10% percentage chance it's racist or something. Whereas actual free speech laws are, and so hate, I understand, is, is one of them that you can't have in here. Um, and I don't know the exact definition of what counts as hate or not, but for most people, it's actually a lot further than where they are. And so to me, again, then if you don't have a change from now, you have the bifurcation. So you're mm. not having one town square. And so to me, you should not have one company that is unregulated, unilaterally making up things that they don't tell people what they are and then shadow banning people and not telling them they're shadow banned and then kicking them off, not saying why they kicked them off and then not giving them recourse. Mm. So to me, yeah, I don't particularly want to hang out in a place where the free speech laws actually are just that. I, I do want to have some more cotton wool on it. So I want to be able to have the slide, do you know? <laughs> and I think a lot of advertisers might be like, yeah, look, I'm only going to advertise on the G stuff. Yeah. You know? I'm not going to put my, you know, whatever ad next to that. And, and that's cool. So to me, Something has to be done. 
I just worry, and then again, there's a different thing that Elon's going about this in a way that's actually going to break Twitter before he gets to try to fix it. Mm. <laughs> like, um, so to me, yeah, I think the, the track was so bad that it was not good and people were leaving and they were hating Twitter and they were having the bifurcation of the media universe. And so to me, somebody doing something was better than nothing because it was on track for bad, having said which it might have just turned because of the midterms. And then what do you do? And that was part of what I was talking about. Yeah, so like I think you and I both agree that um, you know Elon coming along <laughs> and you know really sh shaking the the tree, so to speak, of of Twitter. It not, I'm not going to say that was the the right outcome or the best scenario, but I think something like I I think something had to be done. Otherwise, Twitter was on a pathway to um, its own demise. And I, so, don't think, I don't care about Twitter's demise. I care about the demise of the Western world, you know, the rules-based international order. Mm. And so to me, I don't care one iota about Twitter. It just, well, it, I think that there needs to be a public town square and that I don't know that there can be one unless it reflects the rules of the country, not the rules that the company feels like. Mm. And I think it's very clear that the company has been doing this and that a company that has 99% of people that are Democrats is very unlikely to reflect a country where about 50% of people are Democrats. And that it is left-leaning, I think, is very hard to argue that it isn't. And that this was causing some of the bifurcation in the American society. And so if you want to change the media, we well, can make a new media company. You can try to make a new Fox News. I actually happen to feel that the fastest way to do that was to try to shift Twitter. And so that's what I think Elon was coming at. Like, it doesn't matter if Twitter dies or not. It's how do you stop America from tearing itself apart? Right. And that was the, this is a strategy, not a guaranteed one. But to me, it was worth trying if you are a person with the means. Is this going to be fun for Elon? I don't think so. You know, <laughs> he didn't do this. He's like, oh, you're a great money-making opportunity because I'm poor. You know, he, he did this because he felt it needed to be done mm. and that he had the space to do it, uh, as in financial space, not necessarily time space, because that man, you know, is considered the hardest working person on earth, according to a lot of people. So, yeah, to me, that, and are they going to go through financial like hardship right now? Well, they already, yes. <laughs> Um, but can they make this public town square? Maybe. And how do you do that? That's what I'm talking about here. Yeah. Okay. So I think um, so. If we if we just use Twitter as a proxy for like the digital town square and not Twitter's own problem that it's experiencing, um, yep. that makes more sense. Um, so I think one of the like for where I consider there being the maximum well, a lot of complexity is the nature of what this digital town square is. And so one of the uh, ways I use to think about this is, well, I feel like as long as there's been people online, there's always been a town square of sorts. And if you think about like when the internet first came online in the early 90s, um, you know, it would basically just an open protocol. So if you knew what to do, you could go on and you could create your own website, which would effectively just a page. And you can just write whatever you want on that page, right? You could be like, the government is a bunch of lizards run by aliens. And <laughs> it was, it was like completely, you know, the wild west in the beginning, but like you could put a page up and that it would, it would be that. Um, but there were very, very little reach because unless someone knew your website um, domain or your website was in the original yellow pages, which there were back in the day <laughs> for the internet, um, there would be none of this, um, you know, proliferation of certain messages. Second version is like, you know, the very early, like, uh, uh, social media, not social media, but like communication platforms like AOL and MSN and all of those different elements. So like people now talk to each other and uh, you could actually walk up to a random person and start saying things. 
Third is social media today. So what I'm getting to is, what does it look like going forward? Um, and it seems to me, uh, and just what Jack Dorsey is talking about, is that you know Twitter was never supposed to be a company. It was supposed to be a protocol. And if you wanted to then say, like, well, what does a social media as a protocol look like? It would be the thing that you're talking about, which is you've got you know, a system set up so that anyone could build their own version of creating a digital town square, but then there are rules in which those must apply. And so I just would, I was just trying to figure out, like, how does this actually work in a world? Because, like, if you wanted to have any company that was a social media company regulated on the same way, do you have to regulate every individual company or do you just create your own protocol in which social media companies can be built on. Yes, yeah, so it's, it's an interesting point. Um, from my perspective, you want a place that is maximally trusted and that is where you get, you get your information from. You know, So they talk about like the trustworthiness of different news sources. Mm. Um, so as an example, I have high trust for the ABC in Australia and I have low trust for like, I don't know, Fox News as an example uh, <laughs> in America for, for, for sort of factual outcomes. And so they are trying, I think, to go at creating the maximally trusted place. Then on that, they want to be able to get all of your information, whether it's financial information, political information, you know, tech news, whatever, right? Um, and also entertainment. And so it's much better to have a place where everyone goes to. So they say that one of the things that happened is you had the TV networks, and there were only three, and then you had the have to the, the rules which they were repelled in the 80s about not having having to be fair and balanced or whatever. So you had to show the Republican side and the, and the left-leaning side, right? Um, and then cable news came along, and instead of everyone watching the same 6 p.m. news and seeing a fair and balanced report, they then could go and say, well, I only want to see the you know, left-leaning view. I only want to see the right-leaning view. And so they weren't even having the same facts. So you went from everyone the same to everyone different, and the internet being kind of this. And I think Elon is attempting to try to create that place, which is the public town square. So it's not like we want hundreds of social networks. We've already got this, you know. They're just all doing their own rules, wild, wild west, totally unregulated, you know. Some of them like 4chan, which are like cesspits, you know. Um, so to me, the maximally trusted place, which then hopefully, you know, with information and entertainment, can have 80% of people on it, on earth. That's the goal. Okay. What it's not about general protocol, you don't want this. So, how do you create that? And there's going to be a lot of work community nodes, algorithms, you know, getting rid of trolls, all these things, you know, product features like having video, etc. And so, to me, I think it's a worthy thing to try to do. And I think the business model is getting different, is going to be payments as opposed to advertising or subscriptions. Mm -hmm. Um, so they turn it into he's talking about this, you know, the, the x.com business plan. Um, so, anyways, that was addressing your multiple things. It's like I don't think we want multiple things. We, we want one which has a set of systems and rules, just like which country do you want to live in? Well, one with a set of rules that I know about that I can help update, like in a liberal democracy. So people want to move to America or to Australia, right? They don't want to move to China or Russia where they don't have that. So we need an equivalent system that there is for like America for a digital town square. And right now, unregulated. But I'm, I'm guessing you're not... Um suggesting that this is actually run by the government or the legal system, right? I'm guessing so you're, you're saying that this is the country, definitely. So, so the, the laws of free speech are what it is, as opposed to the Twitter just doing whatever they feel like or, or Facebook doing whatever they feel like. 
So yes, it needs to reflect it. And I know that this, some countries are very small and the cost to do it in each country might be equal. You know, mm -hmm. so if America, you know, it might cost the same to do it in Australia, but Australia's only got 26 million people and America's got 330. So yes, fundamentally, I believe that a public town square should reflect the free speech laws of that country. And that will be very different in Afghanistan, as an example. Um, and that they, it is shown that it is reflecting that. And if you don't like those laws, then you vote for new laws with the politicians in the system we have. You don't have some voting on Twitter. I don't understand how you can have another system which people can trust. Like, or the best system I know for people to trust is the existing system that we have. So I think maybe if I went back to like, the idea that we can have algorithms running this, I guess, is still um, still a challenge for Not me. All of it, part of it. It is part of the solution. Community notes are part of the solution, etc. You know, getting rid of trolls is part of the solution, but they're all public. Yeah, but like, yeah, making them public is one thing. But like, when you think about even as it exists today, you know, platforms like Facebook um, have what I would consider to be a much more obvious. Um, challenge around what is appropriate or not is you know appropriate content like what is you know you know violent videos and images what is you know child sexual abuse images and videos this i would say is arguably much easier to have an algorithm um, automate but we don't like we have i think last i checked this facebook had like 15 to twenty thousand content moderators they have algorithms too. the algorithms take down more than nine percent of the content so the 20,000 people are only doing less than 10%. Well, that's just terrifying. Because <laughs> they're, they're getting changed. It didn't used to be that. Right. Last time I heard Zuckerberg talk about it, they were into the high into the 90s of the algorithms on getting rid of content that, that, you know, child pornography or, you know, whatever, beheading people from ISIS or something, you know, mm. or Christchurch, you know, dude rolling around with a gun. Yeah. So, but then you got this same problem where you would say, all right, let's say if an algorithm can get 90% of all of the... But to have this idea of you need moderators who go through the the exception or the thing that can't like of course what is the well so it's not like you can easily see for yourself that this is inappropriate content now you're thinking all right Duncan just well Kanye just posted like you know the Jews X now you might not think that that's incitement but a lot of people say like as soon as you say anything with hatred or vitriol towards Jews that creates a lot of um, you know increase in aggression and violence towards the jewish community and yeah. so like that james no one's saying this should be perfect so do we have totally unregulated um, um, social media which is what it is now i don't think so right do we have a company which is 99 percent you know money devoted to uh, democrats one percent to the republicans somehow think it's going to be reflective of this no mm. Okay, is there so much content that humans can review over it? No. Okay, so is it going to have to be partially algorithms? Yes. Are there algorithms going to be perfect? No. What is your other solution? What we have now? Yep. I don't think so, yep. right? So to me, this, of course, is not perfect. They are already doing this. So they're already making humongous numbers of decisions, left, right, and center. Yeah. So I, I would I'll... say that it's better to have them be public than not. And that, yes, it's going to be some combination of algorithms and humans and that you want to see both of what they've happened and that if you don't like it, you don't write a petition to Twitter. You write a petition to the rules of the country that it's in, which is called having a protest or voting for a different person or whatever else it is. 
Mm. And so to me, I am unsure as to why the US government, as an example, hasn't moved to regulate social media. Mm. And I thought after, you know, the 2020 election, this would be top priority. But, you know, it's somehow, it hasn't seemed to happen at all. Yeah, well, if I were to speculate, I would say it's because it's too hard. Um, and to answer your question, what's my proposal? For me, I think what would be, like, in my personal opinion, way more impactful is to focus on transparency rather than to focus on enforcement of um, of government regulation. Transparency? Like, as, well, first of all, transparency of the individuals who are on the side. So do I know I'm talking to Duncan Anderson or do I, or am I talking to a bot? Well, that's part of it. So they said this, like, how do they increase trust? So I said mm -hmm. there were three core legs that I'm aware of. One, get rid of bots. Core strategy here is make them pay. Two, increase community notes, which is effectively authority, which is the same as page rank. And three, have the signals so that are for free speech laws public, because there'll be more signals in this. Probably the most important one is whether you engage with a tweet, which is the equivalent of liking on Twitter or on Instagram, right? But it's not the only signal. Mm -hmm. And so the signals that relate to the free speech laws are public and are seen. And this is like, well, this tweet we think is highly likely, you know, um, whatever, you know, lying or, you know, whatever the, what it was called. And as such, we are meaning that it's not getting much um, uh, amplification. Does that make sense? So like, to me, these are the three core things that I can think of. Yep. I'm not an expert and I believe that they are also the things that I understand Elon is trying to do. And to me, they are significant changes from, and so can this increase trustworthiness? Oh, I believe it could. And is it worth trying? Seems reasonable to me. You, you've got to execute on it well. You know, is that, is that easy? Hell no. But without this, you have the continuing, you know, eating ourselves and bifurcation, although hopefully that has just bottomed. Hmm. So I, the one that you talk about where you can actually have people, you know, have ranking based on their engagement and based on the, the reach of their content, all of those kind of things. I have a problem with, yeah, I have a problem with because I think I can see ways in which people gamify and exploit that. This is the same as Google and SEO optimization. It's a constant whack-a-mole game, right? How do I rank number one on this thing? And so what Google is trying to do is see sites that actually have proper authority and should be done up and then other people are trying to buy links or whatever else it is. So is it a conceivable thing will happen? For sure. Does it mean that this approach is going to be net worse than what is currently there? I think there is the possibility that this approach is a net improvement. And it is something which is not, from what I understand, a significant component of how ranking works now. And so I believe this signal should be investigated and done well can be a game changer. So, like for me, <laughs> one of the like it, it just doesn't seem to, to, to be helpful in a way in which like we're going away from how do we bring back trust how do we uh like what is this this ranking system doing to increase trust as opposed to increase engagement right because like i'm not trying to straw man this i'm not looking for the weakest part of the argument and then using that as the the basis of it i'm trying to make sure that th this actually makes sense when we're putting forward the concept of what do we think we need to do to improve social media from a freedom of speech perspective? Yeah, well, to me, it's it's is that should there be a digital town square where everybody's there? Like I, I think so. So, and to do that to occur, not to have the one that says what I want to hear, you know, the filter bubbles, you've got to have maximal trust. Okay, mm. 
what are three strategies that I believe Twitter and Elon are trying to do that are different to how Twitter is run now? And do I think it's possible that those will improve trust? I mean, yes, the one, get rid of as many bots as possible. Will we be able to get rid of all of them? No. Okay, if you make it 1,000 to 10,000 times more expensive to have a bot, then it's going to get rid of a lot of them. And also, you have to have a credit card. You can't just manufacture credit cards. You have to have that know your customer thing. It's, it's, you know, going through to get credit cards is difficult, right? Two, push community notes as a much bigger component of how you do authority and things. Three, have a signal for each of the core components of the free speech laws, which is algorithmic and is updated constantly and will be updated to reflect how things go. For instance, you know, we've gone from, you know, whatever, hanging this, that is public, right? Mm. And the decisions that are made are public and there is a public system of recourse, not please send us an email and we'll get back to you if we feel like it. So mm. to me, these three strategies have the possibility of significantly improving trustworthiness and as such, hopefully changing the tenor of what is happening. On top of that, you then have the slider. Sorry, I don't know if you're hearing that um, fire truck go in the background. No, um, but I can see the lights. So uh, Google has actually built the algorithm to get rid of it. I've been on calls before. And so it is pulling out the back, because in New York City, that happens all the time. Down my street, three times a day on average, fire um, high trucks go. I've never seen a fire. I hope no one's getting burned or their, their property's you know, burning. but yeah, but it actually takes it out so that you don't hear it. So to right, me, yeah, could those could these strategies have problems? Yes, yes, yes. I'm not saying so. Almost everything has a trade off. Like there's some good, some bad. But should is it worth trying something? Like definitely, because to me, the way that it was running is untenable long term. Okay, these feel like they are really well measured and have a high chance that the improvement is going to be much more than any regress. And so they are net wins, is what I hope can happen. Okay, so on the three strategies, I was not aware that they were considering charging everyone, or is that not what you're saying? It's a free layer, but effectively only the people that pay are going to have much more likelihood of having being seen the content. Does that make sense? So on Twitter at the moment, they say there are 90% of people that just read tweets. That's me, right? There are... Um, 9% that retweet and 1% that tweet. So probably 90% ain't paying, right? So, but what you see is, you know, from maybe 10% pay, maybe 1% pay. So effectively, a lot of the content that's generated is bots and it's hard to know which ones are bots or not bots. Mm. And so this was a way to hopefully massively cut bots. And then of the stuff that you see, well, if you've paid eight bucks, then you're going to be showing much more so that the amount of amplification is wildly higher. But then also, if you have built authority because you haven't had people come around and say, that's, that's wrong, you're, you're inciting hate, you know, you're, you're doing you know, whatever else it is. So there are these other layers that sit on top of it. And so over time, you've built a lot of credibility in a mm. source, right? But then Trump can come along and it can be like, look, we think that this is 90% chance lying. We think it's 90% chance lying. And this says it. And you're like, well, okay, well, I've seen it saying lying and I agree there. So I've seen it saying here. And then there's all these commenters saying this stuff. And so it just gets downweighted. And so to me, yeah, I think this is hopefully a better approach to be able to build trust. Whether it's going to work or not, I'm not sure. You know, could Twitter die by Christmas, as some people are saying? Sure, because the infrastructure breaks and, you know, they've lost too much of the team or they haven't lost, they're fired. <laughs> um, and obviously a lot of people are quitting too. So yeah, I just don't know what happens. But to me, 
I feel like a public town square that reflects the rules of the country um, is much better than what we have now. Mm. And these are strategies that I believe can help achieve that. Um, are there going to be things that need to be thought about that you have brought up? Yes. Does that negate them from being tried? No. So to me, it's more like, yeah, okay, this is the strategy. They need to be aware of this stuff. Still worth trying. So if I understand, community notes is a way of building credibility then. Would that be fair? Yes. Uh, for the, so the people who write them can read credibility, but also the notes that are written on you. So community notes is normally basically downside removal. Okay, this person has said something that is false or whatever else it is. Mm. And so it is a way to have a non-algorithmic, so a, a, but it's a crowdsourced human thing. So in some respects, so Wikipedia is a crowdsourced encyclopedia, right? Yeah. And the people that write the comments on there are, in my understanding, given authority. So, for instance, I've never written a comment or made anything into, into Wikipedia, but there's some dude, I've forgotten this person's name, that is like all day, every day, right? And I don't know what the person's day job is, but effectively, they're the most um, authoritative updater of things on Wikipedia. And so Wikipedia, I think, has a lot of trust. Right? You go there and you, you don't expect it to be lies. And that's because it's a community source. No one gets paid. Actually, I've donated to Wikipedia because I think it's an incredible, valuable source. I don't know. It's not very much. It's something like $10 a year. Probably, I should probably donate more to, to Wikipedia than that. Um, but <laughs> my understanding is the money is not going to the commenters. It's going to the organization to, to run the servers and whatever else it is, right? Um, so it's kind of like adding Wikipedia to Twitter or something. You know, that there is a bunch of people that are going through and looking, and some of these people will lean into it. This is like, you know, their way to be a help you know, to society, you know, as opposed to being a social warrior, work one, you know, one dimensional person, this is actually helping. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. So I guess maybe rather than looking at it from Twitter's perspective, if we were to build a, a, a social, a digital town square from yes. scratch today, right? These are the things that we would think would be totally. you know, helping to avoid that. Um, the bot thing I think is a, is a separate issue because if you started from scratch and you did do, in my view, a proper, um, you know, user verification from the beginning, then you might not have that, you know, that challenge with having bots running this running through the system, so to speak. Maybe. Um, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, I definitely think content moderation and having as much of that uh, set algorithmically as possible is like, is the way of the future. Like there's no way that we could have someone moderate this with human eyes. Like it just doesn't scale. Uh, it's not, it doesn't seem tenable to me. Um, and so having that as like as a base layer. Um, and I think the most important, the most important for me is the transparency one. The one where you can actually see how this is actually working underneath. So that you, you Duncan know that are you being, is your tweet or is your post being suppressed or is it being promoted? Have you been, you know, shadow banned or are you being, um, you know, pushed forward? Mm -hmm. um, because I think that way you can feel like you know how the system works. And so you're not getting any semblance of like, well, I don't know if, um, you know, I'm being you know, digitally oppressed or just like, or blocked or whatever else. Yeah, I think it is summary time. So I don't know if that was your summary. I, I can do mine. This is not about making Twitter make money and, and earn a return. It's mm -hmm. about how do you have a society that the good of that in America, you know, there's nothing wrong in America that can't be, um, what is it, fixed by what is right about America, right? How do you have a society that hopefully improves over time? Well, I think you do need to have a digital town square and that one that is maximally trusted 
is much better than 20 digital town squares where there's no you know semblance of upholding the law that you should not have your own laws in this space that you should reflect the laws of the country it's going to be very difficult because some countries are very small you know like Liechtenstein I think it's 50,000 people you know um, whereas America's 330 million you know um, and that to me this is not a company having something if you want to have your own house party that's fine right and you, you don't invite everyone you know and someone comes you can turn them away but that there should be places where anybody can come and can say things and possibly get followers but if they're saying things that go against the laws of that country that there should be consequences such as shadow banning kicked off whatever else it is right and so to me <laughs> it was it was faster to create a digital town square by changing the course of Twitter than doing it from scratch. Like, you know, Trump, true social or whatever. So it's not about trying to make money in my opinion. And I think the way that Elon makes money is through bolting a payment network onto the side of this and then becoming the global payment network. I think that's a much better business model. And I think this is kind of like, oh God, we need to try to probably, it's costing $44 billion to buy Twitter. You know, ultimately we, we ideally want the people that are giving us money to make, make money back. Oh, it's not going to give me money, you know? <laughs> and so I've got to figure out a business model but also if advertising long-term, you know, may not be able to do this. So to me, I didn't think I understood that I didn't explain this properly. What do you think is a core part of society? Well, I think the media is not functioning well. It's becoming more bifurcated. It's becoming not following the rules. It's, it's causing division, you know, polarization. Okay, we need to get away from polarization to, mod to moderation, you know. Um, you need to be, you know, moderate. Um, and that it's easier to change the course of Twitter than it is to build something from scratch. Okay, what are some key strategies that you put in place? Bearing in mind that I have stuff all understanding of how the algorithms actually work. I do know there are signals that go from zero to one and that, that, that these happen behind the scenes anyway, <laughs> you know, so, so why not just show it above, you know, in front of the scenes? So to me, these seem, to me, reasonable and based on my very, very, very limited knowledge of how this whole thing works. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, well put, David. Um, so I think we can both agree that you know freedom of speech is a core tenet to a, a free and open society. And so it's just really trying to understand how does that insert itself into the systems that's set up within that uh, within that country. And you know we talked very briefly about well you you had politics, government, media, and people. And um, for me, it's like thinking about the three estates and how there's the fourth estate, which is considered media, uh, and people like Mark Zuckerberg have now touted this idea of, well, social media can consider itself the fifth estate. And so if we want to have this new uh, digital platform of where people can openly express and um, you know, experience you know, the freedom to express themselves, how do we set this up so that it can be successful long-term? Uh, and I think, you know, for me, the, the main reason is that the, the main ingredient is trust. And I think the most important element of trust is Believing that when I am engaging or when I am sharing with uh, with Duncan online, that we are operating under good faith, and the ingredient for that is, I have to, I feel like I need to believe that who I'm talking to is actually Duncan, so that this is actually a verified person, um, and I think also ensuring that we have some guardrails around that to say that well, you know, while we're engaging with each other, Duncan can't engage in you know hurtful, insightful, or, or violent types of speech, and so that's the um, uh, the the algorithmic point of view. Uh, in terms of like establishing credibility, I can see how that might be helpful for a digital uh, town square to be successful, you know, back to the business case side of things. Um, I don't know if it necessarily helps with solving the problem of freedom of speech though.
but I do think that you need to have something that is viable and successful and has a um, you know a proper business model to in order for it to thrive, so that we can still have these digital transfers. Yeah. All right, thanks, James. See you soon. Cheers, Dagged.